I think it's really exciting to be able to explore that and what, is it, what does it mean to do that. And um, I think one of the things in order to do that that is really helpful is to have a clear understanding of who Paul is um, and, and the space he's in. And so I have a quick timeline that I, I want to go through with you. It's got a lot of information on it, but just go along for the ride and hopefully uh, it will be helpful as we do this. Um, first up is in 34 A.D., uh, this guy named Saul, who was Paul's name before it became Paul, it was originally Saul. Um, nope, come back to me. There we go. Okay. Um, yep, there it is. So Saul is witnessing the execution of one of the early leaders uh, in the early church. His name was Stephen. And um, he's not only witnessing it, but he's approving of it. Uh, and we find that in Acts 7. Um, and then in Acts 8, Uh, Saul is participating in the persecution of the early church in other ways. And in Acts 9, he gets specific permission from the high priest to go to Damascus, specifically to go and search and arrest uh, Christ followers. Uh, In 35 uh, AD, um, so this is completely shutting down on me. So if you guys can run my slides for me, that'd be awesome. It's just joining in with the rest of technology today. So... um, In 35 AD, Paul is on his way to Damascus, and he has this encounter with the risen Christ. And in that moment, he is made blind. It says that he can't see, Um, and he goes and meets this guy named Ananias, who ministers to, and some people want to say healing, but it's it's, it's a transformation that takes place, because when Ananias puts his hands on Paul's eyes, it says that scales fell off. And so there was something in that moment, there's a, a healing, a transformation, Um, But that happens in Acts 9, and after that, he says he goes to Arabia, and we read that two weeks ago in Galatians 1, 16 and 17, and then he returns to Damascus, uh, where there's a group of Jewish zealots that make an attempt to kill him, Um, and that is in Acts 9, 23 and 25. We also read about in 1 Corinthians 11, 32 and 33. Now, three years after his encounter with Jesus, around 38 A.D., Paul's going to return to Jerusalem, and he's befriended by this guy named Barnabas. And that's going to be really important uh, for the rest of our story today. We read about that in Acts 9. Um, And there, some Jewish Hellenists try to kill him. It seems to be a a growing theme in Paul's life. Uh, And so the Christ followers there say, we got to get you out of here. So they bring Paul to this place called Caesarea, and then they send him on to Tarsus, his hometown, where he ministers in this region called Syria and Cilicia. And we read about that in Acts 9 and also in Galatians 1, uh, 21-24, section we're going to look at today. So we jump ahead to 43 AD, and the church in Antioch that developed largely, remember I mentioned that this guy Stephen was executed? After that, there was this scattering of Christians into all these kinds of different places, and the church in Antioch kind of grew out of that. And so back in Jerusalem, there's a handful of disciples still left, and they send Barnabas uh, to Antioch to investigate what is happening there, and then he's supposed to report back to him. So he goes there, but he decides, I'm going to go get Paul in Tarsus, and he's going to help me with this project. We read about that in Acts 11. Five years later, uh, in 48 AD, Paul, Barnabas, and this other guy named Titus go back to Jerusalem, and they're bringing a contribution to the church there because there's a famine going on, and so all the other churches are helping out uh, churches who are in need. And so they go to the church in Jerusalem with this contribution from the Antioch church, and that's in Acts 11 and also uh, Galatians 2 that we're going to look at again today. 
Paul there meets with James and Peter, who in the, in the scripture, uh, Paul refers to him as Cephas, which is a name he was given uh, that means uh, rock or stone. Um, and uh, people debate, uh, you know, Jesus kind of said, you know, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Uh, other people say it was because of his personality uh, that he got the name rock. Uh, and so that's up to you to figure out how you want to take that. But James and Peter affirm Paul's commission and uh, and his gospel that he's sharing in Galatians 2. And then, last one, I think, yep. Uh, in 48 and 49, Paul and Barnabas head out on what is called Paul's first missionary journey. He sets out on three of these where he really goes all over the place in the Mediterranean and trying to head over towards Europe and all kinds of stuff. And um, it's in this first missionary journey that he plants these churches in Galatia. And, and we looked at that map and how that worked out. It's kind of the right in the, the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, they get these churches planted and going, and then they come back to Antioch. And when they're there, Peter comes to visit. And Peter's hanging out with all the Gentiles and eating with them and all this stuff, uh, which, if you remember, as uh, if you were a Jewish person, that was not okay because the, the Gentiles were seen as unclean and mostly because of they worshipped so many idols. It just it, it, it kind of marked them. And so it was, it was not okay, to, especially to eat with them. But Peter was, and there was this new movement happening. Uh, but then we read that some people showed up from the Jerusalem church, and Peter kind of changed his his ways a little bit, and stopped eating with the Gentiles, started only hanging out with the Jews. We read that Paul just straight up confronts him uh, about that, um, and that's we're going to hear more about that next week. But right after that happens, Paul also gets news from those Galatian church that, churches that he helped plant that there's some people there that are telling the Gentile Christians there that um, they haven't really got the full deal from Paul. Paul hasn't really given them the full gospel, and instead what he's given them is kind of a watered-down version. He's tried to make it easy for them, and these people who have come in and said this are saying, look, if you really want to be a Christ follower, you have to adhere completely to the Old Testament law, and specifically some of these rituals and traditions like circumcision, ceremonial food laws, including who you can eat with and who you can't, and some other things. And so that's why Paul has written this letter, and all that stuff took place to get us to this spot where he's going to write that letter. Now, in week one, we, uh, we noted that there were four things in kind of this opening statement uh, that, that Paul made, and that was that Jesus died for our sins. Uh, he did it to rescue us from the present age of evil, uh, and this is all according to the will of God, and that this all gives God glory. Right? And that was kind of the foundation he was going to build everything off of, that this is kind of the launch pad for everything he's going into. And then two weeks ago, we talked about this phase, this phrase where Paul says, and all that happened, and what really happened uh, in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1, it says this, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, right? Um, and uh, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Now, what we noticed there was that it's not just that uh, Christ was revealed to him, but it was Christ in him that was revealed. And so I have a question that I want you to give me feedback on, um, and it's what is the difference, and for you remotely, please uh, give feedback also, we'll get it communicated to me and get it read, uh, but what is the difference between knowing something and having something be in you or part of you? Some people have phrased it like, I have it in my bones, 
right? And how might these impact your life differently? So the difference between knowing something and having something like residing in you and how might these impact your life differently? And any responses? And if people don't respond, that's fine too. We're totally good with moments of silence. So whatever the room dictates. Okay. Right, right. And so how might that express itself differently than, than if you just know it? Right. I, I love how you use that word compel because it's going to come up a lot in what we're talking about today. Good work. Yeah. Oh, so Jeannie said something in you, it, it like compels you differently than something you just know, right? It, um, it, it kind of moves you or inspires you differently than just something you know. Like, I know Mountain Dew is bad for me, um, but well, until recently when my body started outright rejecting it, um, I didn't, it didn't mean much to me. Right? So now I, I literally had something in me that was compelling me. Uh, you got to do something differently, right? And it, it did. It changed how I totally did it. So I, I love how you said that, compel. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Nathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like that. Did everyone hear that? Yeah, so, um, so the idea that, that Nathan was expressing was from the movie Top Gun when Maverick's like, yeah, when you're up there flying, you don't always, how did I do what I did? It's just in me. Like, I just had a response. It's just how I am. It's what I do, um, which is different than I know how to do this, and I kind of have to maybe go look at the manual and try to figure it out, or I have to access it somewhere versus it just resides in me. Is that kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else? Those are all great. Yeah, Lauren. So I think uh, intellectually, mm. you can have like a logical argument in your head, but when you're inspired, it's from within you. Mm. It's creative. It can be a relationship of love that's going on with you and almost the concept of God being a person. Yeah. Right. Mm. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I know that my head can logically say this can happen, and I can argue it with myself, but when I have a relationship of love, that's something that I feel and experience. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So uh, Lauren was saying that the, the difference between kind of intellectually knowing in your head and being able to logically reason it out versus... The, the experience of love that happens from, from inside you and, and, and who you are and what you do and that relationship with you and God. and uh, Yeah, and then so also very eloquently it was like, and how do you define love, right? Really good. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, everyone. Thank you. Uh, anything else? Awesome. 
Um, so, and, and what I want is I want for all this stuff, the, the, the big timeline we went through and, and what we all just shared, I, I wanted that to all be kind of present in us before we looked at the passage we're going to look at today because Paul's going to sort of move. Oh, Rich, you had something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, instinct versus knowledge. Yep, awesome, thank you. Excuse me, take a drink of water. But all that stuff to be in us, because as we get into the passage, I think it's going to be really helpful, because Paul is going to get into this section, and he's already kind of started to defend uh, sort of against the accusations of these other folks that have been saying, yeah, Paul's not giving you the full thing, he's not teaching the full gospel, um, and, and if you really want to be Christians, you've got to do all this other stuff. And Paul's saying, no, it's exactly the, the problem, is that they're actually free from doing that other stuff. And he's building this argument off of that foundation of, of God sort of initiating this new kingdom where all people can know that they're with God as he is revealing Christ in them. And so um, if you have your Bible, you can open up to it. We're in uh, Galatians. It's going to be chapter 1, verse 18, through chapter 2, verses 10. Um, you can use the Bible tab on our online platform. You can read along as a, the verses are going to be on the screen, or you can just sit and listen. Those are all good options. So this is Galatians 1, 18 through 2, verse 10. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stay with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves." We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who are held high in esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles." James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they go to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Now, before we jump into some of the stuff I have to say, I want to ask you, was there anything in there that just gripped you or stood out to you or just caught your ear um, and go ahead and share that.
again. If not, that is totally okay. So one of the things that's always got me with this passage is why is Paul telling his story here? What does that have to do with with what he's trying to do, which I believe is trying to allow, allow this gospel he's been talking about to shape and form this Galatian church? Right? This is information they probably already know. So why retell it or why tell it at all? At some points, it actually seems a little bit arrogant. Right? At some points, he's using language where he's, he's just referring to people as circumcised and uncircumcised. And it, it seems very, like, just kind of aggressive. And so um, I always wonder why he's doing this. And I think that uh, at first he's addressing some of the things that the false teachers have been saying. Um, that they're trying to compel the Gentile Christians to become more obedient to the Jewish law and the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And Paul, um, as we saw when we looked at the opening, uh, has a big problem with this because he believes it's actually a false gospel that they're sharing. False gospel that they're preaching and a false gospel they're inviting the Galatian church to follow. And he's using his story and his experience as evidence that the gospel that he is preaching is different. He's trying to open them up to the possibility of remaining with that. And two weeks ago, we talked about that reality where Paul says it was revealed to him as Christ in him. And as Paul goes on in this letter, I hope you hear that this whole thing is really his experience of living that out. Everything he does, and and it's him taking his, his previous worldview that was completely upended as the gospel does with the entirety of life. And how does that get worked out? And I want to look at some of the key moments that we hit in that passage as we read through it and how those express that. So first he says, three years after he encountered Jesus, he went to Jerusalem to get to know or be acquainted with Peter. Now, the thing I love about this is as Paul goes there, he's not going like either elevating himself and saying, I'm going to go and show Peter what's up. I'm going to go and tell Peter how it is. And he's also not going saying, Peter is the, is the, is the be-all, end-all of everything, and then he's so great. He, it just says he's going to get to know him, right? He wants to know who this is. He wants to meet Peter and, and befriend him, and not so necessarily either of them can get anything out of it except for friendship. And so he's going not only just to go, but, but believing that he is an equal with Peter. And, and the thing that's interesting is I think the disciples are, uh, at this point, they have some kind of celebrity status because they're either, um, if they're, if they're uh, people in the church, they probably esteem them a lot because they're church leaders. If they're not in the church, they're probably very annoying um, as, as the church is very active and doing a lot of stuff and lots of sharing and all this kind of stuff. And so um, there's lots of people who are going to be aware of who these people are. And so it's interesting when Paul says, I wasn't known to any of the churches of Judea. I, they just knew that someone who had persecuted them was not any longer. And so it's this interesting thing, I think, that Paul is saying, you know, I, I went to be with them and it wasn't their celebrity uh, that I was going to uh, engage with. It, it was this reality that the hierarchies of the world don't fit in the kingdom of God. They're not part of the kingdom of God. Right? He even meets James, Jesus' brother. Um, and if you notice, one of the things that's interesting is James and Jude, also another brother of Jesus, they never announce themselves as, hey, I'm James, oh, and by the way, I was Jesus' brother. Right? They don't ever throw that around like as sort of a, a, a thing to be proud of or to gain them anything. Um, and so it's just interesting how all that gets worked out. And I think Paul is saying that, look, 
the systems and the hierarchies of the world don't work, and I'm part of the kingdom of God, and so I'm going to be with a friend. Uh, he then goes on to say, after he met with Peter and James for two weeks, he left for Syria and Sicilia. And I have a map uh, that I just want to show you real quick. Um, and so you can kind of see the area circled in red down there uh, at the bottom. That's Judea, right? And then, uh, so that's the area he was kind of in. And then it says he went up to uh, Syria and uh, Cilicia. And to go to the next slide. And that's the area he went in. So he just went up north, and so he's kind of roaming all around that area. The other thing I want you to notice here, on the next slide, here's Damascus. Uh, so you can see, oh, maybe not. So anyways, Damascus, if you have, Judea was here. Oh, there we go. There's Damascus. Uh, so it's just on the way up. Uh, and then if you go up further, you've got Antioch is right there. And then the last one is Tarsus. And so Paul's life is really spent along this kind of, coast, the east and, and northeast coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, I just always find it helpful if I have some things to help me frame this. So, um, so that's where he was going. And he says he was unknown in those churches and, and all that stuff. And they were praising God because uh, maybe they got a little bit of a break from someone who was persecuting them. And then he says 14 years later, and, and it's, it's up in the air for some people if it's 14 years after his meeting with Jesus or 14 years after the previous meeting. Uh, I personally think it's 14 years after his meeting with Jesus, but you can think whatever you want. It still gets it kind of in the ballpark. It was 14 years after something. Um, and uh, one thing I noticed about this is that whenever I think about Paul, I always think about this guy so intense, and he's a mover and a shaker, and he's challenging, and he's preaching, and he's sharing, and he's confronting, and he's in prison, and he's out of prison, and he's writing letters, and he's not. This is 14 years, and what most scholars say is although he was preaching and, and teaching during this time, this was a time of him working out his faith. He was trying to navigate. His, his whole previous life to this had been completely turned upside down by this moment with Jesus, and he's trying to work this out. And so what it does when he says, yeah, it was 14 years before I went to Jerusalem again, it says not only is it a time marker, but it also says I have put in some time trying to figure this out. This isn't just something that I yesterday got this vision and now I'm out, right? This was, I have actually been watching this on the ground, experiencing this Christ in me life. So he goes back down to Jerusalem. This time he says with Barnabas and Titus. Titus is a Greek, which means he's a Gentile. Um, and so that has some interesting spins. Uh, in a moment, we're going to see that Paul says that uh, when they offered, uh, they offered him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, but he doesn't say they offered it to Titus. So I think that's an interesting moment in there. Um, but they're there to deliver this contribution to the Jerusalem church. As I said, there's a famine. Um, and, uh, and it also is, I think, the reason why he said, I came in response to a revelation, because in Acts 11, this guy named Agabus has a prophecy about a famine. Um, and, and so Paul is saying, I'm responding to this prophecy, this revelation, that I came here uh, with this uh, contribution to help the poor. Um, so he says he presented his gospel there uh, that he preaches among the Gentiles because he didn't want to be running his race in vain. And, and again, I think it's really easy to say, so is Paul concerned? Like, are they going to reject me? Are they going to not believe that I'm doing the right thing? And I think it's really clear. Paul 100% believes he's doing the right thing. Um, but I think Paul is concerned here that if the Jerusalem leaders don't affirm his gospel, it's going to cause even greater division in the church, which he's already seeing. Right? And I think, Paul, if you're going to 
come and have the, the, the huge part of your gospel be this idea that people who are, who are in the past excluded are now included, of course he's going to be concerned about division. Of course he's going to be concerned about the family staying together. And so I think that's what he's getting at here. I wanted to make sure that I, I wasn't doing this and now it's just going to fall apart because of division. So he mentions that Titus uh, was not compelled to be circumcised and um, uh, this word compelled uh, comes up in here because it means that um, there was someone who was trying to compel him uh, to do that, someone who was trying to force him to do that. Um, and, and Paul says that actually it seems like during their time there, people came in and were sort of trying to make this happen. And he says, we didn't, we didn't bow down to it for a moment. We didn't give in to it for one second. And the reason why is fascinating to me. We did it for you. We preserve this gospel for you. Because for Paul, his actions in Jerusalem with Titus and Barnabas and not giving in to this other group was furthering the kingdom of God, not just for them in that moment, but for the church in Galatia and for everyone, including us. That this gospel, this launching of the kingdom of God to rescue all humanity from this current evil age is held and preserved in our actions, our every moment, day-to-day actions for the sake of others and future generations also. And I think that's amazing to think about. I think so often we are really thinking, oh, this thing I'm doing is just, a, it's just some small thing. It's just my day-to-day stuff and it's really just me But it actually, Paul would say, no, it it impacts the entire kingdom of God. And then our actions are somehow preserving the gospel for others. He wraps up this section we're going to look at with this strong statement about God not showing favoritism. um, uh, Through how he stated that the ones there who were held in high esteem, and it's it's really tough here. Paul's language is, uh, it's kind of hard to read because it, you can read it in different tones where he says, yeah, those who are held in high esteem, they don't mean anything to me, right? You can read it that way, or you can read it as those who are held in high esteem, that, that esteem, that celebrity is not why I'm here, right? That's not what brought me here. This is for us to engage fellowship together, and it's all for that. I'm preserving the kingdom I'm, and all that stuff in the gospel for others. And he says that they didn't turn him away. They agreed that he'd been commissioned by Jesus to go to the Gentiles um, and uh, they to go to what he calls the circumcised. Um, And this is going to come up a lot next week um, with the the arguments about um, eating with the Gentiles and the things that they're supposed to be doing. But um, uh, he adds on at the very end that the, the other thing that the apostles, other apostles asked him to do was remember the poor, which he kind of says, it's kind of interesting you ask me that because it's actually the reason why I'm here. He says it's a thing I was eager to do all along because they're bringing an, an offering to give uh, to help the poor. And so he's just saying, yep, that's great. We're, we're already here to do that, so we're on the same page. Now all this, how does this work to further Paul's mission? which was to see the gospel shape and form the church in Galatia. How does that impact us? We talked about it. We walked through it. We noticed some things. I think Paul is doing this, pushing this story for two reasons. One, because for Paul, it's not just a doctrinal issue. 
It's not just something to, as fun as it may be, to sit up late at night and talk about these things. This is the entire gospel, the whole message that God had dealt with sin on the Messiah's cross so that all people could now fully be members of God's family. And that's what Paul sees is on the line here. And for Paul, the status of Gentile believers was what, he, what I'm going to call a touchstone for the truth of the gospel as a whole. Meaning that if that didn't hold, then the whole thing falls apart. Either the gospel events dealt with sin or they didn't. Either Jesus dying on the cross and being resurrected took down the walls of separation that humanity had built, or it didn't. But if the gospel was true and did have the effect that Paul believed that it had, if Jesus has indeed dealt with sin and ushered in the new age, the launch of the new creation that we talked about right at the beginning of this, then everything had to change. Everything down to who you sit with and eat with, which we're going to explore more next week as we look at the eating arrangements at a mixed-race church. And so it's critical for Paul. The whole thing falls apart. If the gospel can't do this, if it doesn't do this, then what are we doing? But the second reason I think that Paul is telling this story and why I think it's so compelling is that it reveals the power of a story, a human story. Of your story, my story, our neighbor's story, that we each have a story. And that each of our stories is taking place within this larger story of God. And Paul is both telling and living out what it looks like to find oneself in the story of God. And what I want to encourage us all to do is attend to the stories we encounter and seek out the ones that help us understand what is happening in our world. Ian Proven, he's an Old Testament professor at Regent College, recently said that their goal at Regent was not only to train people to have a better understanding of God through Scripture, but to train people who could accurately and appropriately see, understand, and assess what's happening in the world in our cultures. Because we often start, what he he was implying was that we often start kind of what I'm going to call swinging blindly. Like we're in some kind of fight and we're just thrashing. We don't know what we're doing and we start taking the Bible and Bible verses and just throwing them like big haymakers and we're not even sure what they're about or what we're doing. And instead, we could be engaging with understanding, truth, faith, hope, and love to a world that is hurting. So I want to ask, do you know your story? Do you know your life? And do you know that your life has in it the same power that raised Christ from the dead? And that your story is located within this larger story of God that has revealed Christ in us. Which, according to Paul, is good news because it's available to all people. Do you know that your neighbor's story is part of that story? Do you know your family member's story is part of that story? Have you listened to these stories? Have you shared your story? I think Paul would say in attending well to our own stories and other stories, we might find Christ in us, the gift revealed to us by God to usher in the new age of being rescued from the evils of this present age. I want to be really clear here that rescue doesn't mean we get a check out or that life is going to be super easy It's never going to be painful. Rescue means we actually enter right back into it as new creations who can influence the world to change. I think it's amazing that whether it's a celebrity story or an everyday life story, 
something in between or something outside of those, all are in the presence of God and all are in the story of God. Now, as we've been talking about these stories, you may have had certain things that came into your mind, maybe your own story, maybe stories you've heard, maybe stories you're wanting to hear, right? I had a, a, Linda, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but we were talking last Sunday, I think, after church about stories, and, and can you share for a moment what you had said, do you remember, about the stories you'd been hoping to hear? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 So Linda was talking about the stories about the people walking from Guatemala, and they're trying to um, get to. Uh, my brain is shutting down. The border. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like. The, the property line? No, that's not it. I was trying to get to the border because they're, they're trying to get to a new place that's better. But they've walked so far. They have all these stories. We don't know what's happened to them along the way. And, and we may not hear those stories for a long, long time. Um, but, but what I thought was so incredible about that was just the desire to know someone else's stories, the desire to hear those stories, and that what that might lead to is someone going to find those stories. Like, where can I hear those stories? Can I go help those stories be told? Um, and, and how can we do that? Yeah, Lauren. And she said it's second generation that will tell us Right, yeah. So second generation oftentimes will be when we hear those stories. And so, um, you know, and, and that all these stories, and, and there's so many others, we can go through all the things going on in the news in our world and find stories. But, um, but oftentimes these are stories we need to hear now. Um, and so I just... I, just, I don't know why that stuck in my heart as I was thinking about this, uh, Linda, and thank you, Lauren, for your comments, too, but it was the, that, that, just that that's what came up in your heart about thinking about other stories, and, and I know that lots of you have other people that you might be thinking of now, and I want to ask you to hang on to those and, and, and try to find ways to, um, to facilitate hearing those stories. Anyways, um, I have four questions I want you to think about. Uh, after we go through those, I'm going to pray. Then Brian's going to lead us in a few moments of reflective time with some instrumental music. And then I end our time in a closing song and a benediction. Um, but uh, my questions for you to answer is, one, what is your story? Um, and you can put these on the connection card if you want. Obviously, you don't have to write your whole story uh, on the connection card. Uh, but whatever you want to write or just for your own process. Um, but do you know it? Have you really thought through it in a while? Um, and then secondly, do you see your story as part of God's story of redemption for all people and all creation? That is your participation in your story in your life. Do you understand that to be something that has the ability to, 
to preserve and, and hold the gospel for other people uh, to participate in. Uh, and then next, how have you spent time recently both sharing your story and hearing the stories of others? Like, what work have you done to, to participate in, in either communicating your story or listening uh, to the stories of others? And then uh, lastly, uh, have you recently shared how your story is part of God's story, or have you heard someone else's story and seen God present in their story? I think that's one of the key things, is being able to identify uh, where love is in, in the, these spaces. So uh, with that, let me pray, and then uh, we'll have a time of instrument, uh, instrumental music for you to reflect, and then we'll close with a song and a benediction. God, I, again, I'm thankful for your presence with us. Um, and Lord, as I think about um, what so many people uh, and many of us are going to celebrate today, um, which has been, has been termed as Independence Day, and, and, uh, and it's been given, you know, Fourth of July, different names throughout time, you know, how we phrased it. But really, God, I, I want us to, to know that uh, what it means to be free, to be able to make a choice, um, and uh, that I'm thankful that, that over and above all the, the government and, and all the things, uh, which, which I'm thankful for, for sure, uh, but... Um, I'm thankful to you that we really do have freedom to choose uh, and freedom to choose to participate in this gospel. Um, Freedom to choose no longer to be bound by sin and the systems of the world, uh, but to say, no, these stories are important too. Everyone gets to be part of the family. Um, and, And what can we do to make things accessible for everyone? We see Paul so so uh, tenaciously work for others uh, in this. And so um, I just pray we would catch that, Lord, and we would really have a a wider understanding of what the gospel is as we go uh, throughout our lives after this. Uh, Ask that your spirit would move and make this so. In Jesus' name, amen.